0: loved it for some time. However, I thought it would be very difficult to introduce to the congregation, so I was interested when I saw that the, they had been practicing this. So thank you for, for bringing that uh, hymn to us. It's been lost to the church for many generations. To see the law of, by Christ fulfilled, to hear His pardoning voice changes a slave into a child, and duty into choice. If you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, or Acts chapter 6 rather, spent a lot of time in Acts chapter 7 this week in preparing this sermon from Acts chapter 6 and you'll see why um, I would have been looking at Acts 7 so much as we move through the sermon. Acts chapter 6 verses 8 through 15. And this is the word of God. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenes and the Alexandrians and those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen that they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came to him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray now that your word, as it has been read would be uh, proclaimed faithfully and heard by Your people, and not simply heard, but would be believed, would be acted upon, that we would not be like that man who looks at himself in a mirror and immediately going away forgets what he looks like, but rather we would be not only hearers but doers of Your Word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently heard a group of high school students who were complaining about one of their classmates, and apparently the classmate um, that they were complaining about had worked extra hard on whatever particular test that they um, had taken. And he made an A on his test while the next highest grade in the class was a C. And everyone else had made C's and D's and, and even F's. And the reason they were complaining is they were afraid that uh, this, this one A would blow the curve uh, for everyone else. So instead of rejoicing that this one person was uh, pushing everybody else to excel, they were angry that he was actually making them work harder for the grades that they were seeking to earn. Or not earn, as the case may be. As we look at Stephen this morning, we're going to see that he's a curve buster. He's the high school student that makes everybody work harder. He's the employee that uh, sets the standard against whom everybody else in the office is going to be judged by the boss. In other words, his faithfulness raises the bar for everybody else around him. And I anticipate and I surely hope that Stephen will have that effect on us this morning. That he will raise the bar for us. So the question is, will you joyfully join in him and or with him in his faithfulness, or will you stand over to the side and complain about him? Well who is Stephen? The passage that I read from, or the the version of the scripture that I read from, uh, the English Standard Version, calls him a Hellenist. What is a Hellenist? A Hellenist was a Greek-speaking Jew, and here in the context he was a Greek-speaking Jew that had become a Christian. And he was chosen by the church to be one of seven men who were given the responsibility of overseeing the daily distribution of the food and the money to the widows who had need. And he was chosen because, as we saw last week, he was a man of good repute. He had a good reputation. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of wisdom. The text goes on to say that he was singularly a man who was full of faith. He was probably the leader of this seven who were chosen because his name is listed first. So look at verse 5 from chapter 6. This is part of what we um, read last week. And, they said, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, and Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. In our text this week... As you look, ahead, or look at verse 8, it says that he was also full of grace and power. So in six short verses, Stephen is said to be full of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it says it twice in verse 3 and also in verse twi- 5. So he's full of the Holy Spirit. It says he's also full of wisdom, full of faith. And in verse 8, full of grace and power. Can you see a theme here? This was a man who was full. What this means is he wholeheartedly gave himself to Christ. Let me ask you, are we to consider Steve Evans' devotion to Christ as an anomaly? Did he exceed Christ's expectations of him in terms of his devotion? Or... Is his devotion simply the normal response of one who follows Jesus Christ? Does he exceed Christ's expectations? Or is he simply a normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill Christian? What does Scripture say? Remember in Luke 14, Jesus Uh, Said loud, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, "If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple." In other words, Stephen is not an anomaly. And if he is not an anomaly, what does that say about the devotion that we owe to Jesus Christ? How does your devotion to Christ measure up against Stephen? As we continue to look at Stephen this week, and over the subsequent weeks as we look at chapter 7, we're going to see a man who is willing to trust Christ, who is willing to take Him at His word, and who is willing to risk everything, even his own life, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Can your faith be described as being full? Can your interactions with others be described as being full of grace. Can your dependence on God be accurately described as being full of the Holy Spirit? Do these descriptions of Stephen, in other words, describe you? And Stephen did not simply devote himself to Christ and keep to himself. His devotion to Christ cost him his life. And then this is what I want you to see this morning. Because at the end of the sermon, we're going to be confronted with this. His devotion to Christ cost others in the church great suffering as well. He didn't simply keep to himself. He was steadfast in his faithfulness. Stephen, in addition to his duties of overseeing the daily uh, distribution to the widows, uh, also over and beyond that, uh, began preaching to the population in Jerusalem. So verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And the, the implication here is that he's out, he's out. He's not inside the church walls. He's not inside the, the, the fellowship. But he's outside the church walls. He's out maybe in the streets or uh, there at the temple. And he is preaching Christ. And in his preaching, he is also doing mighty miracles of healing while he's preaching. Um, as I reflected on Stephen this week, I didn't read this in any of the commentators. So it's... I'm alerting you that this is purely speculation on my part. But uh, as I looked at him, I I began to think Stephen was probably not one of the early converts, uh, but was rather... Uh, probably one of the one hundred and twenty original or Christians who were with who were in the church before Pentecost he might have even been amongst the seventy that uh, Jesus sent out in Luke chapter 10 who went out and worked miracles around the towns of Judea and then reported back to Jesus um, The reason why I say that is I just was reflecting on the fact that he was doing these miracles. The important thing to see is that he was doing these miracles because of his connection with the apostles. But since he was not an apostle, he didn't have the standing that the apostles had. And because he wasn't as highly regarded as everybody else, it made him an easier target uh, for persecution. I remember when I was in 7th grade, um, my 7th grade class ended up being the nucleus for a state championship football team. Um, Guys in my my class, several of the guys in my class ended up being... um, being, Receiving awards for for being high school football players and going on to play Division 1, Division 2 football. I was not among those who uh, were so recognized. I was significantly smaller than some of the guys in my class. And there was this one guy that had transferred in. He had failed at least twice. He was was bigger than me, but he wasn't bigger than some of my classmates. And for some reason, I just remembered they were picking on him. And they were all gathered around. And I was standing on the other side of the room. The teacher wasn't in the room. My mother was my teacher, by the way. Uh, This is a small town, Georgia. But she wasn't in the room. They were picking on him. He looked beyond her, saw me over there laughing, and said, What are you going to do about it? I was easy picking. So I said, Well... No. I'll I'll do something about it, and he promptly punched me in the nose. Both sides of my nose were bleeding. I can just remember everything going black as I fell to my knees. Well, Stephen didn't have the standing that the other apostles did, so they thought he might have been an easy target. So some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen uh, began to argue with Stephen as he preached. And of course, the scripture says that he completely destroyed all of their arguments. Well, if you can't win an argument fairly, but yet you're committed to winning, what are you left to do? Well, you cheat. And so that's what they did. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. This resulted in getting everyone stirred up, uh, the population, even though they were happy for the apostles and for Stephen to do these miracles. Their hearts were really far from God, so they were easily stirred up. And they drug him then before, in, uh, in my translation, before the council. Uh, this would be before the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of uh, Jews there in Jerusalem. And so they gathered uh, the elders of the people, the, the council together, and they had a trial. And verses 13 and 14 lay out the charges that they lay um, against Stephen. In verse 13, And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Now I have no doubt that these charges uh, sound familiar to you. You've heard them before. You hear them. Uh, these same charges laid out before Jesus every um, every week before Easter. Uh, we we talk about these charges. You've heard them uh, from your youth. Why would they bring up these specific charges first against Jesus and then against Stephen? And we, see, we hear echoes of these charges being brought up against Paul and some of the other apostles later in the book of Acts. Why would they bring these specific charges? The reason is, Roman law said that Jews could not exercise the death penalty on their own. Uh, that they had to uh, leave the death penalty, carrying out the death penalty, or deciding on the death penalty. They had to leave that up to the Romans. But there was one case where Jews could decide uh, on the death penalty and carry it out on their own without appealing to the Romans. And that was anyone who had, who spoke blasphemy against the temple. F. F. Bruce uh, says this, When Judea became a Roman province in A.D. Uh, 6... So in the year 6 AD, the Jewish administration was deprived of capital jurisdiction, which the prefect reserved for himself. In one area, however, capital jurisdiction was left with the Sanhedrin. That was in the cases affecting the sanctity of the temple, where that sanctity was violated by word or by action, the Jewish authorities were empowered to execute their own law. So that's why, out of all the things that they could have, that all the false charges that they could have brought against Jesus, they decided on, on this set of laws. They were trying to avoid having to go to the Romans. That's why these charges are now being brought against Stephen. They couldn't convict Jesus on these charges because the witnesses uh, could not agree, and so uh, Jesus did not open his mouth. Remember, he remained silent, and um, they could not convict him. So they appealed on to the Roman authorities and got and crucified him that way. Had Stephen shut his mouth like Jesus did, it would have been interesting to see whether they would have been able to convict him as well. But Stephen did not shut his mouth. Far from it. In fact, uh, Acts chapter 7 is um, uh, Luke's account of Stephen's sermon. It's one of the longest sermons recorded in the New Testament. And in his sermon, Stephen said flatly, that the temple was temporary because God does not live in houses made by human hands. Listen to the conclusion of this sermon in Acts 7, 51-53. He said, and he's speaking here to the Sanhedrin, to the religious leaders of his day. He said, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets, prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the Righteous One, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as the Delivered by angels and did not keep it. Wow. What do you think Stephen is thinking? What do you think is the outcome he's hoping for when he says this to the Sanhedrin? All he could expect was the death sentence. He walked right into the buzzsaw of the hatred of the Sanhedrin. He knew, humanly speaking, that they held his fate in their hands. Humanly speaking, of course. And yet he ran. He didn't walk. He ran right into that buzzsaw. You stiff-necked people. Uncircumcised in heart and ears. He could have kept his mouth shut. Maybe he could have found a middle ground. He could have done many different things, picked out many different strategies, rather than preaching the sermon that he preached in Acts chapter 7. But there was no hesitation on Stephen's part as he launched into that sermon. I love the Bible's description of him here in verse 15. Look at, look at verse 15. And gazing at him, this is the Sanhedrin, gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Instead of compromising, Stephen committed himself to Jesus and then he doubled down in his preaching. He said, yes, indeed, the temple is not where God dwells. For He does not dwell uh, in a house made by human hands. Instead of speaking against the law, He doubled down and He said, you Sanhedrin, you religious leaders, you are not the one who is keeping the law of God. What was the outcome? Of course, the outcome was that Stephen was stoned to death. And we'll take a closer look at his uh, stoning in the coming weeks. But after his stoning, a great persecution broke out against the church. I want to ask you if you'll turn over uh, to Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Here's what the scripture says. And Saul approved of his execution. And this is of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women uh, and committed them to prison. So let me ask you. How would you feel if you were a member of the church of Jerusalem, and because of Stephen's singular actions, you were being persecuted? What if you, because of Stephen's choice to stand and preach, you had to leave your home and leave your security? What if you had to uproot your family, flee from Jerusalem, flee from Judea into another country? What if your friends and your family members had been dragged from their homes forcibly and cast into prison simply because Stephen decided to rock the boat? Would you be angry at Stephen? Would you have wished that he had kept his big mouth shut? Stephen lost his life because of his preaching. He also caused the entire uh, church at Jerusalem to suffer excruciating persecution. That's why I compared Stephen to the uppity classmates or to the co-worker at the beginning of the sermon. Would you want Stephen to become a, uh, a member of the of Westminster Presbyterian Church. If he did, would you be happy that he was here rocking the boat? Remember, Stephen's not an anomaly. He is typical of what a Christian is called to be. Are you willing, not simply to endure a Stephen, are you willing to be a Stephen. This is the question I've been asking myself this week. I like peace. I like happiness. I like everybody happy. I like harmony. But I am convicted that I must be a Stephen. And I must encourage and I must expect you to be Stephens as well. Or... Stephanie's as the case may be why did Stephen walk into the buzzsaw the short answer is he was seized by the power of Christ's resurrection Jesus Christ had come here to earth why? to die for his sins Jesus Christ had gone to that awful cross and suffered. Why? To die for His sins. Jesus Christ rose powerfully from the grave, seated at the right hand of God, and is ruling and reigning over all creation. Stephen knew that Jesus was his God. And so Stephen entrusted himself to Christ, Stephen was willing to die for Christ. I want you this morning, as I conclude, to measure your life against the glory of Christ. Every second that passes is one step closer, is one second closer to eternity. One second closer to seeing Jesus Christ face to face. Do you want to stand before Jesus when on that great and glorious day and tell Him that you stood over to the side and complained about those who extended His kingdom uh, by their faithfulness? Or do you want to be able to tell Him that you gave it your all for the extension of your of his kingdom. In other words, what are you what are you what are you willing or how are you willing to live? To hear Jesus say, Enter into my rest, good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. Almighty God We thank You for Stephen because in seeing Stephen we see who we are called to be. Father, I pray that You would make us a congregation that is full of faith, that is full of wisdom, that is full of Your Spirit who leans upon Him, who rests on Jesus Christ alone. Father, I pray that You would uh, so work in us that many of us, all of us, would become Stevens, that we would be willing to forsake everything, to take up our cross and follow Jesus wherever He leads us. I ask in His holy and ever-blessed name. Amen.